the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is both producing and engineering today's program. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I know. Uh, today on the program, we're looking forward to a conversation with Brandon Showalter. He is a columnist and senior investigative reporter for the Christian Post. He's written an article on trans surgery uh, on children. And we'll talk about the denial that they exist by the legacy media, as well as what uh, some of these significant medical journals are saying about what's actually being done and whether or not it's harmful to children. So that's coming up in the five o'clock hour. He'll join me right at the top of the hour. First, we'll take a look at some of the day's headlines. Well, at least three were killed in a St. Louis high school shooting. The suspect was killed by security. At least six were rushed to a hospital with various injuries following the high school shooting on uh, Monday, including the shooter, an adult and another female. The public schools announced earlier today that eight people, including at least two students, had been transported to a local hospital and police were at the scene almost immediately. The St. Louis Police Department also confirmed that its officers had responded to an active shooting incident and said a suspect was in custody. Well, police did not clarify the age of the third victim, a female, nor did they clarify his her relationship to the school. Well, the police chief said that the doors to the school were locked, something that um, bought time for school security officers to react. There was an exchange of gunfire. The shooting occurred at the Central Visual and Performing Arts High School. Uh, They declined to offer further details, at least earlier in the day when they were contacted. Police were on site at the Central Visual and Performing Arts this morning following reports of the active shooter. Uh, Conflicting reports on whether or not the suspect was killed by security or was detained by law enforcement. But um, the... uh, the shooter, it is presumed to be dead, but that's not altogether clear. Images from outside the school showed buses lined up and students crowded in the parking lot. Police do, soon established a reunification location where uh, children, uh, young people at high school, so they, maybe children isn't the right word, were reunited with their parents. Uh, but again, this took place early this morning in a uh, St. Louis high school, and uh, the shooter was subdued. A man wearing a T-shirt supporting Senator Marco Rubio was brutally attacked by four people in Hialeah, Florida, because he was canvassing on behalf of a Republican, the senator tweeted on Monday. Well, according to Senator Rubio's note, the, mains, uh, the man suffered internal bleeding as well as a broken jaw and will need con- reconstructive surgery. The unidentified man was also reportedly wearing a hat supportive of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Rubio is one of the incumbent senators in Florida. He's up for re-election this coming uh, November. Polling suggests Rubio is a slight favorite, but he definitely has his work cut out for him. Well, since the Supreme Court summer ruled um, 
uh, ruling overturned Roe versus Wade. Conservative people and organizations across the country have been repeatedly targeted for vandalism, harassment and outright assault. In September, a Republican teenager was run over and killed by a 41-year-old man after the pair got into a political discussion at a street fair. Following the initial altercation at the festival, the grown man posted bail and went prowling for a teenage for that teenager on the streets. The fearful boy called his mother, but she could uh, didn't arrive in time to prevent her son from being uh, run down and killed, literally run over. Despite nearly 50 incidents of vandalism, including firebombing at pregnancy resource centers across the country since June, the FBI hasn't arrested a single perpetrator. The FBI announced it uh, planned to treat such violence as acts of domestic violent terrorism following a spate of attacks and the uh, urgings of over 125 members of Congress, uh, Republicans. But as of yet, nothing has been done. Well, citing alleged war crimes, Iran's assistant to the Russian war effort in Ukraine could make the country an enemy combatant, according to experts. And in a demonstration of girl power in the midterm elections, women's votes will decide the future. On the most litigious election cycle, the Republican National Committee has launched 73, 73 election lawsuits in 20 states. In climate calamity, Prince William is under fire over his plans for a sustainable eco-village. On Governor Newsom's ambitions, national or otherwise, California's governor promises to finish his four-year term if he's re-elected. That's subject to change, however. Don't think he'll show up? Pelosi accuses former President Donald Trump of not being man enough to appear in front of the January 6th committee. I see what she's doing there. Proximity to whiteness. Joy Reid and Jamel Hill blame racism for Ron DeSantis' popularity with Hispanics. I'm not sure how that formula works. It's racism that Hispanics favor the Caucasian candidate, which they're free to do in an election in a free country. You'll have to call them for clarification. Jake Tapper uh, is inquiring. The CNN host is being hit for wondering why there wasn't a national conversation on school closures. Mr. Tapper, you weren't listening. There was a conversation. Parents were shouting, but they were parents, terrorists, and they weren't listened to. A war hero is being honored. The Army is scrapping Fort Hood. The Central Texas Post will be named after the late General Richard Cavazos, a hero of the Korean and Vietnam Wars, who demonstrated valor and leadership throughout his army career, according to the Pentagon. It's one of nine army posts nationwide that will be renamed as part of the Department of Defense's effort to remove Confederate-affiliated symbols from military property. Calling them significantly behind, inflation has produced a big setback for retirement savings. Hmm. Well, the head of the U.S. Navy claims America must be ready for China to invade Taiwan. Financial Times reports the head of the U.S. Navy has warned that the American military must be prepared for the possibility of a Chinese invasion of Taiwan before 2024. As uh, Washington grows increasingly alarmed about the threat to the island, Admiral Mike Gilliday, uh, he's the chief of naval operations. He said the U.S. had to consider that China could take action against Taiwan much sooner than even the more pessimistic warnings. The Telegraph reports that America's military must be ready to respond to a potential Chinese invasion of Taiwan that could come before the end of this year, the head of the U.S. Navy has said. And Newsweek also weighing in, responding to the remarks on Friday, Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Wang Wenben 
He asserted that the U.S. needs to be fully aware of the extreme importance and highly sensitive nature of the Taiwan question, end quote. Republican Lee Zeldin takes his first lead in the polls over incumbent Kathy Hochul. The New York Post is reporting that the Republican representative, Zeldin, has edged past Democratic incumbent Kathy Hochul by a decimal point, and the race for governor is now a dead heat. A stunning new poll released Friday reveals. Significantly, it's the first poll showing Zeldin running ahead or even with the, uh, the governor. A poll released by the same group in early September had Hochul leading Zeldin, the Long Island congressman, by six points. The uh, interactive poll says that Lee Zeldin holds a one point lead over Hochul in New York uh, for the governor's race. Zeldin, 46 percent and Kathy Hochul, 45 percent. Democrats are looking to move forward with student loan cancellation, even after a court issued a temporary hold. The Hill is reporting that Education Secretary uh, Miguel Cordona said on Saturday that the Department of Education is moving full speed ahead with preparations for its debt uh, relief program after a federal appeals court temporarily blocked the program on Friday. CNN says the order from the 8th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals comes in a case brought by six Republican-led states asking for a preliminary injunction to halt the policy after a district court dismissed the earlier case uh, earlier this week or last week. The effort is separate from a Wisconsin taxpayers group's challenge to the program that was recently rejected by the Supreme Court. Cordona says that amid some Republicans trying to block our student debt relief program, we are moving full speed ahead, preparing for implementation so we can deliver relief to borrowers who need it most. End quote. Dr. Fauci and other officials are going to have to testify in the case regarding big tech censoring free speech. A federal judge has ordered Dr. Anthony Fauci and other Biden officials be deposed as part of a lawsuit against the Biden administration, alleging that the government colluded with social media companies to censor free speech related to the coronavirus and other controversial topics. According to a court order from the United States District Court for the Western District of Louisiana, U.S. District Judge Terry Doherty, he concluded that Fauci's high profile public comments have made him a key figure in the lawsuit from the Republican attorneys general of Louisiana and Missouri, who alleged that collusion between the Biden administration and social media companies to censor coronavirus related speech that could be damaging to the White House. The Daily Caller weighs in following third party subpoenas of Twitter, YouTube and Meta. The plaintiffs were able to recover documents showing communication between the federal officials and social media companies, which they allege amounts to a censorship enterprise that spans the federal government. The findings prompted the plaintiff to name 47 new defendants, swelling the total number to 67. Meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi doesn't believe Democrat legislation has contributed to inflation. The House Speaker expressed no regret during an interview on Sunday morning about passing legislation that many experts have said turbocharged inflation. Well, the Speaker made the remarks on CBS News Face the Nation with host Margaret Brennan when she was confronted with the reality that Republicans could win back the House of Representatives during next month's midterm elections. Tim Young says the fight is not about inflation. It's about the cost of living. Okay, which would certainly be impacted by inflation. That's, by the way, a quote from Pelosi, who thinks you're, well, maybe too stupid to know that inflation directly impacts the cost of living. Meanwhile, RNC research says things like spending those $1,400 checks, putting cash out there, didn't that end up contributing to inflation? Do you have any regrets, Nancy Pelosi? No, absolutely not.
Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We need to take a quick break, but we'll continue to work our way through some of the top news stories. Also coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, Brandon Showalter, the columnist and senior investigative reporter for The Christian Post. He's written an article on trans surgeries in kids and the controversy surrounding it all. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I want to remind you that in the 5 o'clock hour, a conversation with Brandon Showalter. He's a columnist, a senior investigative reporter for the Christian Outlook. We'll be talking about his recent column on trans surgeries for kids. It's rather controversial, although the mainstream media suggests it's just not happening anywhere. Well, uh, We'll look at what the research says. That's coming up at five. Well, Canada's freeze on guns has taken effect. The Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on Friday announced a freeze on handgun sales and transfers. The handgun freeze, which went into effect on Friday, outlaws sales, purchases and other transfers of handguns between individuals. Additionally, no foreign handguns may be brought into the country from abroad. Canadian officials cited handguns outsized prominence in violent crime as the reason for the aggressive policies. Town Hall says that Trudeau, from today forward, it is no longer legal to buy, sell, or transfer a handgun in Canada. Former Chinese President Hu Jintao was escorted out of the Communist Party Congress after reporters entered the hall. In other words, it was intended to be seen, to be witnessed. Former Chinese President Hu Jintao was led out of the country's Communist Party Congress Saturday in a moment of unexpected drama during an otherwise highly choreographed event. Hu, 79, was sitting beside President Xi Jinping in Beijing's Great Hall of the People when he was approached by a man in a suit and surgical mask who spoke to him and appeared to pull his right arm. With Xi looking on, the man then placed both hands under Hu's armpits and attempted to lift him out of his seat. Xi appeared to talk to his predecessor before the man got between them and tried to lift Hu again. The Wall Street Journal says it wasn't clear why Mr. Hu left or where he went. The incident has gone uh, unmentioned in Chinese state media coverage of the event. China's state council didn't immediately respond to a request for comment on Twitter. Jingxiao um, News Agency suggested Mr. Hu's issue was health-related. Well, it clearly was not. Video is seen of him sitting there, being approached, lifted out of his chair, uh, turning to uh, President Xi as if to question him, why Why am I being escorted out of the room? Uh, Xi said something to him, looked away, and the former president was escorted out of the room. Xi Jinping has now secured his third term of power and replaced most of the positions with his supporters. A North Carolina high school female volleyball team forfeits all of its games to a rival after a serious injury caused by a trans athlete. The National Review reports that a North Carolina high school volleyball athlete has suffered a severe injury after a transgender player, Reed Male, threw an abnormally fast ball at her head. She's still recovering from long-term concussion symptoms, including problems with her vision. She's not yet been approved to compete again. The Daily Mail says the physical injuries suffered by the female student-athlete at the uh, high school were to her head and neck. It's estimated that the volleyball was thrown at 70 miles per hour, was described as abnormally fast by one bystander. The Washington Examiner says on September 21st, the Cherokee County School Board in North Carolina voted 5-1 to one to forfeit all matches for the women's volleyball team at district high schools against Highlands Schools, which is located in the um, Macon Valley School District. 
the high school's athlete, uh, athletic director supported the board's decision and, according to the meeting's minutes, told the board that a statement needed to be made and that it was unfair and unsafe for the teams to compete against Highlands players, particularly one being a male with a significant physical advantage. The crime wave in Philadelphia has caused Wawa locations to either close or limit their hours. Well, days after Wawa announced two center city locations are permanently closing for safety concerns, nine of their uh, locations in northeast Philly and Bucks County are shutting down overnight following a pair of armed robberies. In a statement, Wawa says they temporarily closed or limited hours at some stores due to external operational challenges or recommendations by local authorities for the safety and security of associates. Wawa has a presence on much of the East Coast with locations in seven states, but it is um, headquartered in Pennsylvania and is a cultural cornerstone in the Philadelphia area. But the chain is reportedly considering moving out of the area altogether as crime continues to soar in the city. Salman Rushdie has lost the use of one hand and one eye after surviving a vicious attack Back in August, well, the famed author, he lost the use of one hand and one eye in that attack by a man who stormed the stage and stabbed him in the neck and torso several times. His agent confirmed last week. Andrew Wiley, literary agent for Rushdie, said the 75-year-old author would survive the brutal attack after his team kept the details of his injury private until now. Wiley did not confirm whether his client was still hospitalized. The BBC reports that he's lost the sight of one eye. Mr. Wiley said in the interview uh, he has uh, three serious wounds to his neck and uh, one hand is incapacitated because of nerves in his arm having been cut. President Trump has officially uh, been subpoenaed by the J6 committee. On Friday, Nancy Pelosi's inquisition officially issued subpoenas to Donald J. Trump to testify before the committee. This action follows the committee's recent vote to subpoena the former president. The subpoena demands that Trump provide documents and phone records to the committee by the 4th of November and that he sit for testimony before the committee by the 14th. Significantly, that date comes days after the November 8th midterm elections. And given the growing likelihood that Republicans will gain control of the House, the testimony would effectively serve as the J6 committee's last hurrah. Trump responded, despite very poor television ratings and the unelected committee has perpetrated a perpetrated rather a, a show trial, the likes of which this country has never seen before. There is no due process, no cross-examination, no real Republican members and no legitimacy since you do not talk about election fraud or not calling up the troops. It is um, a witch hunt of the highest level, a continuation of what has been going on for years, end quote. Well, the prospect that the former president will comply and testify seems unlikely. And while he may sit before the committee, he would likely invoke his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. This is especially the case given the former president's weekend comments regarding the 2024 presidential run. I will probably have to do it again. President Biden's election bribe handout has been canceled, as mentioned a few moments ago. And Steve Bannon has been, I'm referring to the student loan a cancellation. Steve Bannon has been sentenced to a four months uh, jail term for defying the J6 committee subpoena. Nancy Pelosi insists Democrats should change the subject on inflation in a last ditch effort to inspire voters saying I got it passed by a vote or, uh, or two. President Biden falsely claims the student debt forgiveness was passed by Congress and was actually an executive order. Some believe to be unlawful. He did that on his own accord. President Biden has pledged support for gender affirming care and trans kids, but the president is being slammed over his trans remarks, 
Critics say Democrats are officially and proudly pro-mutilation of minors, end quote. With drag shows and gender-fluid internships, it's no wonder the military recruiting is down, the Federalist reports. And the National Health Service is hitting the brakes hard on the transgender social contagion in the U.K., following other European nations, to the point that it has discouraged puberty blocking and social and, and um, Social gender affirmation from the Telegraph story. The proposals say that the new clinical approach will uh, will for younger children reflect evidence that in most cases, gender incongruence does not persist into adolescence. And doctors should be mindful this might be a transient phase. Instead of encouraging transition, medics should take a watchful approach to see how a young person's conditions develop and planned state. Europe is uh, pushing back against the ideological gender-affirming care and permanently altering the bodies of children and adolescents. At the same time, Joe Biden goes all in on the transgender ideology agenda. This should be an election issue and may well end up being. Well, student uh, test scores saw precipitous declines in math reading over the past two years, according to a new um, data from the National Assessment of Education Progress, commonly known as the nation's report card. The 2022 scores, which measure students' proficiency in reading and math, are the first edition of the nation's report to be released since COVID-19. The pandemic policies forced schools nationwide to close their doors, in some cases up to a full year or longer. Elon Musk plans to fire 75 percent of Twitter staff once he takes over. And New York City will no longer refer to a virus as monkeypox to avoid the inaccurate and stigmatizing label. Apparently, monkeys were offended. Rishi Sunak is set to be the next UK prime minister. I think he had an audience with the king earlier today. And as China's Xi extends his rule, his predecessor makes an unusual exit being perp marched out of the gathering. On this day in history, 1861, President Abraham Lincoln in Washington receives the first transcontinental telegraph message sent by Chief Justice Stephen Field of California from San Francisco over a line built by the Western Union Telegraph Company. 1931, George Washington Bridge connecting New York and New Jersey is officially dedicated. It would open to traffic the next day. 1940, the 40-hour work week goes into effect under the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1936. More when we return in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. In our second hour, a conversation with Brandon Showalter. He's a columnist and senior investigative reporter for the Christian Post. He's written an article on trans surgeries that the legacy media says just isn't taking place. We'll bring you up to date and talk a bit about what the uh, what the research says on the subject. We've been winding our way through the uh, uh, this day in history, some events that might be notable. In 1945, the United Nations officially comes into existence as its charter takes effect. 1962, a naval quarantine of Cuba ordered by President John F. Kennedy. It goes into effect during the Missile Crisis. 1972, Jackie Robinson, who'd broken Major League Baseball's color barrier in 1947, dies in Stamford, Connecticut at age 53. 1989, former television evangelist Dim Baker, he's sentenced by a judge in Charlotte, North Carolina, to 45 years in prison for fraud and conspiracy. The sentence would later be reduced to eight years and then further reduced to four for good behavior. 1992, the Toronto Blue Jays become the first non-U.S. team to win the World Series as they defeat the Atlanta Braves 4-3 in Game 6. 
2002, authorities apprehend Army veteran John Allen Muhammad and teenager Lee Boyd Malvo near uh, Myersville, Maryland, in Washington, D.C., the area where the snipers attacked. Um, Malvo would be sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Muhammad would be sentenced to death and was executed in 2009. 2005, civil rights icon Rosa Parks dies in Detroit at age 92. 2018, authorities intercept pipe bombs packed with shards of glass that were sent to several prominent Democrats, including Hillary Clinton and former President Barack Obama. None of the bombs, thankfully, went off. Well, in a predictable yet nonetheless shocking outcome, the latest scores on the National Assessment of Education Progress uh, record uh, has the biggest decline in math in three decades. In mathematics, eighth grade students Uh, Scores dropped eight points from 2019 to 2022, according to the results released today. Just 26 percent of eighth graders now perform math proficiently, down from 33 percent in 2019. Fourth graders saw a five point decline in math with the percentage scoring as proficient, uh, uh, proficient rather dropping from 41 percent to 36 percent. In both fourth and eighth grade reading, students of these uh, scores dipped three points from 2019 to 2022. 33% of fourth graders reached reading proficiency in 2022, down from 35%. And among eighth graders, reading proficiency uh, proficiency rather declined from 34% to 31%. Overall, 49 out of 50 states saw statistically significant declines in eighth grade math, 33 states saw statistically significant declines in eighth grade reading. Declines in some states were states rather were particularly acute. Fourth graders in Delaware fared the worst in math, losing 14 points a year and a half's worth of progress. Fourth graders in Maryland, New Mexico, New York, Virginia and the District of Columbia lost over a year's worth of learning in math, minus 10 points. Virginia fourth graders lost 10 points in reading. Oklahoma 8th graders lost 13 points in math, while Delaware and West Virginia 8th graders lost 12 points. Those in Maryland, Massachusetts, Minnesota, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania lost 11 points. And 8th graders in Colorado, Connecticut, Kansas, Maine, New Mexico, North Carolina, Ohio, Vermont, Washington State, and the District of Columbia lost 10 points. Well, as education researcher Ben DeGrau points out, Eighth grade math scores on the national assessments of education progress are devastating. Ninety percent of states lost at least half a year's worth of learning in math, with 18 states losing an entire year. DeGrau, he notes that only Utah schools and Defense Department schools were spared the decline. Math and reading declines on the main follow the decline in math and reading reported in September on the long-term trend assessment of nine-year-olds. It's a sad loss, and whether or not that can somehow be replaced or repaired is not um, altogether clear. Well, following the resignation of Prime Minister Liz Truss last week, Rishi Sunak is set to assume the role, becoming Britain's third leader in just seven chaotic weeks. Sunak's um, rival, Penny um, Mordaunt, withdrew from the conservative leadership race on Monday afternoon. We all owe it to the country, to each other, and to Rishi to unite. Sunak is the third prime minister to hold the office since September as the Conservative Party has struggled to find a capable leader. Well, after serving as chancellor of the um, exchange uh, of from 2020 to 22, 
Um, Sunyak challenged Truss in a vote of the party's members last summer, but was defeated. Soon after taking office, Truss announced plans for a significant tax cut, cut rather, prompting instability in the financial markets that eventually led to her political downfall. Truss was the shortest ever sitting prime minister, breaking the previous record holder, George Canning's 119-day record uh, handily. There were rumors that um, recently ousted Prime Minister Boris Johnson was looking to make a comeback in the vacuum created by Truss's resignation last week. But Johnson pulled out of the race on Sunday, clearing the path for Sunak Uh, as the only challenger left standing. He will not be subjected to a membership vote. He enters office with the U.K. facing serious economic challenges, most notably persistently high inflation and energy market instability brought on in part by the conflict in Ukraine. His party is also in a weakened position after the fall of Johnson and Truss, trailing the Labour Party in the polls as voters began to clamor for a general election. Former President Trump suggested Saturday that he will, and I'm quoting, probably have to run for president again in 2024. I ran twice. I won twice, he said. And uh, during a rally in Robstown, Texas, for Republican candidates in that state, I did much better the second time than I did before, end quote. He said he received millions more votes in 2020 than 2016 and likewise getting more votes than any sitting president in the history of our country by far, end quote. And now in order to make our country successful, safe and glorious again, I will probably have to do it again, Trump said. But first, we have to win an historical victory for the Republican Party this November, end quote. Well, 45 percent of voters said that they would support Trump for president in 2024 in a Harvard Caps Harris poll uh, survey released on Monday. Forty three percent of voters said that they would back President Biden. Other potential 2024 GOP contenders include Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley, former Vice President Mike Pence, former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson. Former President Trump on Saturday also took shots at Texas Democrats gubernatorial candidate Beto O'Rourke, calling him a flake and praising Republican Governor Greg Abbott. Seventeen days from now, the people of Texas are going to defeat Beto O'Rourke, Trump said, and we're going to keep Greg Abbott a wonderful man, a great man, a great governor, end quote. Well, the former president went on to call Biden and Democrats, well, an unflattering name for not being more supportive of oil and glass jobs in the Lone Star State. They're against oil, God and guns. And then they say they're going to do well in Texas, Trump said. I don't think so. Well, we'll see. The election is just days away. Well, the federal appeals court on Friday temporarily blocked the President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan, which would transfer up to $10,000 in student debt from individuals making less than $125,000 to the American public. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit granted an administrative stay in response to a challenge to the order by a coalition of six Republican-led states. The court's order instructs the administration not to begin forgiving student loan debt as it considers a request for an injunction from the six states. The state comes one day after a lower court dismissed the lawsuit for lack of standing and several days after borrowers first began applying to have their debt canceled. President Biden plans to forgive up to $10,000 in federal student debt for those making under $125,000 annually and households making under $250,000, as well as relieving $20,000 in debt for Pell Grant recipients. The executive action would transfer the cost of the loans to the American taxpayer. 
Biden's order is expected to cost some $300 billion, according to an estimate by the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. Others have estimated a greater cost. Justice Amy Coney Barrett previously denied a separate emergency application to block the forgiveness that had been filed by a Wisconsin taxpayer group on Wednesday. One Democrat is accusing her fellow Democrat and ally of failing to address the homelessness crisis in Oregon. Nearly three years ago, I called for a homelessness state of emergency here in our state. Oregon Department, or rather Oregon Democrat gubernatorial candidate Tina Kotek said during a debate on Wednesday, adding that outgoing Democrat Governor Kate Brown did nothing. Brown previously endorsed Kotek as a candidate for governor, saying she has been an advocate for working families and for her entire career. In January of 2020, Oregon had an estimated 14,655 homeless people, according to the U.S. Interagency Homelessness uh, Report. The National Alliance to End Homelessness reports uh, that about 34 of every 10,000 Oregonians are homeless. Only California, New York and Hawaii have higher homeless rates. A Seattle-based nonprofit Discovery Institute's homelessness report found that in Portland, Uh, In Oregon, people experience homelessness comprised 50 percent of all arrests between 2017 and 2020, even though the population of people experiencing homelessness was less than 2 percent. We'll continue to follow, uh, of course, that story in Oregon and the election. That's just around the corner. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Department of Defense has announced that they're going to subsidize the transportation expenses for female soldiers and their dependents to receive an abortion. It's going to allocate money for travel and transportation allowances for service members and their dependents as appropriate and consistent with applicable federal law and operational requirements and as necessary, amend any applicable travel regulations to facilitate official travel to access non-covered reproductive health care. That's what they call it, reproductive health care, that is available within the local area of a service member's permanent duty station, a Pentagon memo obtained uh, said. Well, the document reportedly said the department would financially assist in facilitating abortion travel for female military members as a step to undermine the reversal of Roe versus Wade. It also said it will develop a program to reimburse applicable fees as appropriate and consistent I like the use of appropriate and consistent. There's nothing appropriate about taxpayer dollars that's funneled through the military to those who are seeking abortions to be used for said abortion. But it says appropriate and consistent with federal law for Department of Defense health care providers who wish to become licensed in a different state than that in which they are currently licensed. Well, the memo argued that the Supreme Court decision in Dobbs posed new challenges to obtaining an abortion for its female soldiers, given that some Republican-led states have imposed restrictions on the procedure and will interfere with our ability to recruit, retain, and maintain the readiness of a highly qualified force. Now, it's, it's fascinating to me that in order for our national defense to move forward, we have got to terminate the lives of uh, children in utero. Our national security depends on on that. Um, if that's the case, I'm not sure I'm I'm supportive of national security under those rules. In anticipation of the objections to the military's new policy, the department assured that it has long offered contraception and family planning services to its service members. The Department of Defense also plans to conduct a comprehensive contraception education campaign because we don't have anything else to do in the military uh, to make female service members aware of the resources at their disposal to prevent pregnancy. The direction was given by the secretary, Lloyd Austin. 
Meanwhile, The Guardian, the UK newspaper, has taken a pro-abortion deception to a whole new level. The industrial complex is at it again. Well, The Guardian, the UK-based newspaper that reaches an estimated 8.8 million readers every day across all platforms on Wednesday, published an article suggesting that until 10 weeks of pregnancy, the unborn baby is only white tissue material which I suppose I should be offended by because as an African-American, I'm supposed to be offended by everything. It's only white tissue material. That's the direct quote. The Guardian article said what a pregnancy actually looks like before 10 weeks in pictures. So how it looks determines it. If it doesn't look like me, then it has no value. It gives one the impression that it's going to show what a developing baby looks like in the early stages of pregnancy. Well, instead, the article only refers to tissue or the gestational sac the suggestion, of course, is that this is uh, all a pregnancy is at 10 weeks and less. So The Guardian published an entire article about what a pregnancy looks like, all without showing a single picture of a, de- a developing baby. So apparently it looks like absolutely nothing at all. Well, The Guardian relied on a group called the Maya Network, which in short is My Abortion Network. So they have an interest in what Pictures are published on the subject. During the COVID-19 pandemic, three female doctors formed the My Abortion Network, a self-professed advocacy group, to show what tissue in the first nine weeks of pregnancy actually looks like. The Guardian's link to the group takes you to a welcome page that says, Do you know what early pregnancies actually look like? You might be surprised to learn that through nine weeks of pregnancy, there is no visible embryo. And at six weeks of pregnancy, the so-called heartbeat is just electrical activity of cells before an actual heartbeat is formed. And it goes on from there. Where there's such depth of deception there, those doctors claim to show what an early pregnancy looks like, but subtly concede that they're only addressing pregnancy tissue in the last sentence. Both the My Abortion Network and the Guardian piece pretend to address pregnancy itself and specifically the unborn human being. But instead, they only uh, they only address one aspect of pregnancy, the gestational sac. Within this sleight of hand lies the indifference between life and death. So what is a gestational sac? Simply put, a fluid-filled structure surrounding an embryo during the first few weeks of embryonic development. Well, that's right. The white tissue shown throughout the Guardian's article is just the pre-placenta that surrounds the developing embryo. It's not the embryo itself. Nonetheless, the Guardian relies on exclusive quotes from Dr. Joan Fleischman, one of the central advisors of the network. She goes so far as to claim this image shows the gestational sac of a nine-week-old pregnancy. This is everything that would be removed during an abortion and includes the nascent embryo, which is not easily discernible to the naked eye, showing this tissue can be a relief to patients, end quote. Both of her claims that the gestational sac is everything that would be removed and that uh, the alluded to, to embryo is not easily discernible to the naked eye are false. After five weeks, the human embryo already looks like a small human with a clearly developing spinal cord, arms and legs. Live Action, a pro-life advocacy organization, shared a deeply intimate photo of a miscarried baby at five weeks. So the photo is uh, something to behold. The unborn human being is already the diameter of a quarter in length and uh, look like a small swaddled baby. At nine weeks, thanks to the advancement of 3D ultrasound, which the Guardian could have chosen to use, countless pictures are available of what a baby actually looks like in the gestational sac. The late-stage embryo is about the size of a Hershey's Kiss and has all the developmental features of a small baby. Yet the Guardian gives a platform to a doctor who claims the unborn child is not easy to see. 
If you can see a quarter or a Hershey's kissed in your hand, then you can see the unborn child at that stage. To claim otherwise is an act of outright deception. When pro-abortion advocates can't undermine the popularity of a law, such as the heartbeat bill that many states have elected uh, to uh, impose, the next step is to obscure what an unborn human being actually looks like and redefine a fetal heartbeat along the lines of an inanimate pulse. The Guardian is doing its best to be a faithful stenographer for the pro-abortion lobby, but it can't hide the truth. And the truth is out there. It's actually visible. And it is something to behold. How one is fearfully and wonderfully made in a mother's womb. Shame on the Guardian and others who try to prove otherwise. Well, coming up, a conversation with, uh, first we have news and traffic, but a conversation with Brandon Showalter, columnist and senior investigative reporter for the Christian Post. We'll talk about the uh, uh, increasing numbers of trans surgeries on children. That when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Tennessee Governor Bill Lee has been into a pediatric transgender health clinic after videos surfaced on social media of a doctor touting that gender affirming procedures, that's how they referred to, are huge money makers for hospitals and a staffer saying anyone with religious objections should quit. Well, Vanderbilt University Medical Center came under fierce scrutiny after conservative political commentator Matt Walsh posted a series of tweets accusing the private hospital of opening its transgender health clinic because it was profitable as well as criticizing some of the treatments that they're providing to minors. Well, the posts included a video of one of the uh, doctors there in 2018 saying these types of surgeries bring in a lot of money and later saying that female to male bottom surgeries are huge money makers. Well, Vanderbilt University Medical Center has made a decision now to pause gender affirming procedures for minors. That decision comes with political pressure from the Tennessee Republican leaders who are calling for an investigation into the hospital after a social media video touting these uh, procedures as huge moneymakers. Well, Brandon Showalter is a columnist and senior investigative reporter. He writes for the Christian Post. He joins us to talk about his uh, article and this phenomenon that's gaining public attention and perhaps scrutiny that was uh, unwelcome uh, by those who are profiting by it. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Georgine. Good to be with you. This is such a... um, uh, sort of a shocking issue because we're talking about minors here and you, as I mentioned, have written on the subject uh, and have quoted those who are directly involved in the practice um, and that has now been denied by mainstream media. Can you kind of bring our listeners up to date who may not have been following this very closely? Well, you're right about the denial on the part of the quote-unquote mainstream media. The legacy press is just, um, I just have to say it, it's truly disgusting they run interference for these clinics and these hospitals that do these sordid procedures, these disfiguring, brutal surgeries on the bodies of minors. Uh, they, you know, for a while, they were just denying that it's happening. But even in recent weeks, it's shifted. The narrative has changed to say, well, actually, yeah, we do. And it's actually good for them. It improves their lives. Vanderbilt, as you mentioned, recently came out and said that they are pausing these surgeries on minors. Well, that means they were doing them. And so suddenly uh, you can't pause something that you weren't doing. But, yes, um, I've actually been covering these issues for some years here at the Christian Post. And I've seen enough of the peer-reviewed medical literature to know that the gender clinicians themselves admit in these journals 
to doing this to people under the age of 18. So anybody who's telling you this isn't happening to children is a flat-out liar because the journal articles say otherwise. Yeah, and you, in your article, quote um, and cite some portions of those reports. There was a, a, a um, uh, what was it, a survey that just came out today, Joshua Arnold uh, published on it, saying that over 1,100 adolescents underwent gender transition surgery from 2016 through 2019. It's according to a new study that was published in um, JAMA Pediatrics, the Journal of the American Medical Association. No less shocking than the cumulative total is the accelerating rate from year to year. Now, this was from 2016 to 2019, uh, so as it's accelerated, those numbers, one would imagine, would be significantly higher. And that's what we know about. It's hard to get good figures in mm-hmm. this space. And as I've often said, that itself, to me, Georgine, is a medical scandal. Uh, whatever people think of socialized medicine, in the countries where they do have it, you can see the numbers more easily. But in the United States, where we have 50 different states and you know, our public health and our medical you know, systems are structured very differently, it can be hard to find good figures. And I know of places where you can go and get these surgeries on an outpatient basis. They'll do them right there in the doctor's office. And so who knows how scrupulously these these things are tracked. Uh, I know detransitioners, so those who've mm-hmm. undergone some of these experimental measures like the hormones and the surgeries, once they express regret and they go back to the doctors that treated them, they're dropped like hot potatoes. And so I don't believe that these are <laughs> the, this this whole industry of trans surgeries and medicalization you know, you can't expect there to be diligent follow-up or good kinds of uh, record-keeping. And, in fact, even at the Tavistock Clinic at, in the U.K., which has since been ordered to close uh, a few months ago, one of the things that I've seen in the review that that was sort of the impetus for that to be closed was how poorly the records were kept. And so if that was the case there, but they do have see those numbers more easily. I can only imagine what it is here in the wild, wild west of the United States and Canada. Yeah, yeah. Well, just recently, President Biden said that he opposes the notion of states banning gender affirming care. That's how it's referred to. Uh, This is in a new interview. The president said that it's wrong for states to ban gender affirming care and people should enter public restrooms based off their gender identity. This was an interview with uh, left wing outlet. Now, this news. Uh, He went on to talk about his late son, Beau, uh, whom he said passed um, the broadest legislation in America dealing with gender affirming capabilities as former attorney general of Delaware. I'm not sure the president fully comprehends the the concerns that maybe he does, but the concerns that many of us have about this gender affirming care as it's um, as it's referred to. Uh, particularly on minors. What's the big deal? The president seems to suggest this is a good thing and it shouldn't be denied to anyone. Well, get out your air quote fingers, because every time you hear the word gender affirming Mm -hmm. care, you need to put that in those big air quotes, because that's the biggest, most misleading euphemism there is. There's nothing affirming about drugging the body with experimental wrong sex hormones and cutting off healthy body parts through these various surgeries. Um, And I, you know, it's debatable how much Biden is even all there mentally, and I don't want to make a mean-spirited comment about his cognition, because that's... For, for people who are actually dealing with the dementia or whatever's going on, that's, that's no laughing matter. 
But I, I actually think that his administration knows exactly what they're doing. This is some grotesque evil, and we've seen that Rachel, uh, it's a male, Levine, makes similar comments about how the supposed experts should not be intervening in various states where they're trying to, you know, ban this practice. Florida, Arkansas, Alabama, and a number of other places that are at least trying to say no. A child has no understanding of what is being done. There's no possible way they can give consent to this. And sterilizing a child, which is what the combination of blockers and hormones do if you give that to a child, I mean, when did that become medically ethical? Just because you have a pink and blue flag on your wall doesn't make, you know, giving a child hormones that will render them infertile a morally acceptable practice. This is one of the worst medical scandals the world's ever seen. And worst of all, our institutions are all backing it. Yeah, it really is quite incredible. Without much discussion, without much public information, I noted that um, the National Health Service Uh, is hitting the brakes hard on the transgender social contagion to the point that it's discouraged puberty blocking and social gender uh, affirmation. They are moving in the opposite direction and and have significantly pulled back. There is a a, a, an exception to this policy, but the proposal says that the new clinical approach will be for uh, younger children will reflect evidence that in most cases, gender uh, incongruence. Uh, does not persist into adolescence, and doctors should be mindful that this might be a transient phase. Instead of encouraging transition, medics should take a a watchful approach to see how a young person's conditions develop and plans uh, state, uh, the the plan states. So they're moving in the opposite direction there, recognizing, um, first of all, that there's not evidence that this, this is in the best interest of anyone, but in particular children. Now, what we're being told is that um, young people who desire these kinds of changes, their mental health will suffer significantly if they're not given what they want. Uh, a, a petulant child, if you don't give a child what the child wants, then they're going to, to grieve over that loss. Um, your thoughts on what's happening with the National Health Service in the UK and, and elsewhere in Europe? You're correct that they're moving in the opposite direction, and I think it's a positive shift. Finland and Sweden are other, I mean, these are very liberal Scandinavian countries. They are backing away from this experimental treatment protocol. Uh, The UK National Health Service, as you mentioned right there, they are indeed issuing those those guidelines that are saying that this is going to be more tightly regulated and it is a move away from what was being done at the Tavistock Gender Clinic that I mentioned earlier. Uh, But I think that people need to be very watchful. This industry is not (laughs) to be trusted at all. And so they can say a lot of these things, but I think people had better be on their guard to make sure that these other regional offices that I believe are going to be opening, uh, that those standards are going to be uh, closely adhered to. But none of this is medically ethical, George Jean. No one has ever been or ever will be born in the wrong body. And that is the central lie at the core of this gender dogma that has now infected all of our medical institutions across the globe. I think the belly of the beast here is the United States and Canada, but this is truly a global phenomenon. It's opening in places that you wouldn't even think uh, that it would. But I don't, I find it very interesting that the places where they have a very supportive population of, you know, gender identity rights and transsexuals, such as Scandinavia, such as parts of Europe, they're now saying, actually, no, this isn't such a good idea. And it's a terrible thing to put a children uh, to put children through and we're not going to do it anymore in the case of sweden the karolinska hospital that big institution over there has dramatically scaled back um and because there's just no evidence for this no there isn't and what what we're talking about is literally without going into detail 
maiming, physically maiming children uh, who with procedures that are not reversible in many cases. And right. you talked a moment ago about infertility as a result of some of these puberty blocking drugs uh, and so on. Are you optimistic that the public is finally waking up because we're being made aware of what's happening? Or do you think this is deliberately held under the radar so that it will continue to expand to the point where it will be even more difficult to prevent it from moving forward? I am encouraged by the increased awareness. I mean, to even see the Matt Walsh rally that happened last week in Tennessee, where they had thousands of attendants to end child mutilation, to see big crowds like that is encouraging. But I'm not going to let encouraging signs like that um, tell me that the tide is indeed turning, even if it is. People need to understand that this ideology is entrenched at the highest levels of our government, in almost all of our institutions. This is fueled by billions and billions of dollars by very wealthy industries. And so don't get comfortable in thinking, mm-hmm. oh, finally the tide's turning. To all of your listeners who are, are, are becoming aware of this scourge, of this barbarism that's being inflicted upon so many children, it is incumbent upon you to speak out about this and to educate yourself that the mass media is lying through their teeth about this. Gender commissions themselves have admitted to doing these horrible things to children they're lying and so arm yourself with the facts and find a way to speak out and do whatever you can because the bodies of children are literally on the line and that's not hyperbole that's right well brandon thank you so much for joining us today appreciate it thank you georgine good to be with you and again brandon showalter is a columnist and senior investigative reporter for the christian post He's written an article on the subject and will continue to, to cover the issue as well. I want to bring up some more issues uh, related to this in just a few moments, but I do need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Just finished a conversation with Brandon Showalter. He's a columnist and senior investigative reporter for The Christian Post, which you can access online. And I also mentioned that the president uh, earlier this week or the, over the weekend said that states shouldn't have the right to ban any medical procedures for transgender Americans, making uh, that statement to um, cover minors as as well. One responder to the president's uh, comment said this, just so we're clear, the official Democratic Party position now is that puberty blockers and sex reassignment surgery for kids is good. This was from the uh, libs of TikTok um, uh Website, former Attorney General Bill Barr, who claimed that the current assaults on religious and traditional values were the result of organized destruction by progressives rather than a general moral decay, uh, decay rather, uh, responded to the video with a, a quote as well, saying, all you need to know about um, about this issue um, is this uh, about this party is this issue. The president's administration previously released a, a series of documents encouraging gender reassignment surgery and hormone treatments for minors. The Department of Health and Human Services Office of Population Affairs released a document in March titled Gender Affirming Care and Young People. The same day, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Child Traumatic Stress Network, another subset of HHS, released a parallel document. It's titled Gender Affirming Care is Trauma-Informed Care. Well, the document described what it calls appropriate treatments for transgender adolescents, including top surgery to create male typical chest shape or enhanced breasts and bottom surgery, surgery on genitals and reproductive organs, facial feminization and other procedures. And we're talking about um, 
We're talking about children. In some cases that were cited by the article um, by guest uh, wrote Brandon Showalter, um, young people as young as 12 and 13 year old um, being cited as having gone through these procedures. We'll talk in a, a few moments about this detransitioning. It's a movement you're not going to hear about because uh, it's just not uh, allowed to exist. It's uh, it's the same for people who decide I am I want to uh, live a life that is honoring to Christ. I don't want to walk in um, uh, same sex attraction, and therefore I'm choosing to conform uh, to His standards for me. They are not permitted to exist. Women who uh, regret their abortions, they're not allowed to exist or to uh, to speak. And in the same way, detransitioners are being marginalized and simply dehumanized as. First of all, not existing or not um, meriting uh, any attention, but they do exist. Well, as I mentioned, officials at Vanderbilt University Medical Center announced Friday that they are pausing their gender affirming surgeries for minors in order to review their practices. I wouldn't, as um, Brandon Showalter suggested, I wouldn't be too encouraged by that. They are pausing. They haven't abandoned the procedures and they are significant money makers, as one of their doctors uh, said on several occasions and is um, uh Cited in video where he's heard making the statement Well, the news delivered in a letter sent to a lawmaker who has demanded an end to the surgeries. It was publicly re- released um, and the uh, mounting political pressure from Tennessee's Republican leaders who called for an investigation led to this uh, this pause. A doctor touting that gender affirming procedures are huge money makers, particularly girls who want to transition away from their biological sex. We are pausing gender uh, gender affirmation surgeries on patients under age 18 while we complete this review. Well, the GOP dominated legislature there in Tennessee is scheduled to reconvene in January. And many lawmakers have vowed to introduce legislation to further limit gender affirming treatments. Uh, we should not allow permanent life altering decisions that hurt children, they went on to say. Well, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health recently changed its recommendations for transgender treatment, which helped prompt the need for a review. On average, the uh, Vanderbilt Hospital has provided five gender-affirming surgeries to minors every year since its transgender clinic opened in 2018. All were over the age of 16 and had parental consent. None received um, uh, genital uh, procedures. That's Vanderbilt, but not elsewhere in the country, as cited by Mr. Showalter's article. Well, the revenues from this limited number of surgeries represents an immaterial percentage of Vanderbilt's net operating revenue, uh, one spokesperson said. Well, the few criticized um, uh, the lawmakers for not taking harsher steps earlier uh, when legislation was signed banning doctors from providing gender-confirming hormone treatment to prepubescent minors. But again, this is a subject that is emerging at a rate that is far behind what's actually been uh, practiced uh, since the mid-2000s. Well, detransitioners, as I mentioned a moment ago, a moment ago are considered either non-existent or an embarrassment by the cultural powers that be. Yet they make clear that people struggling with dysphoria are not the enemy. Rather, the dogmas of trans ideology are, in fact, the enemy. Casey Leander uh, and John Stone Street uh, spoke to 18-year-old Chloe Cole, who testified against a radical California Senate bill designed to make the state a haven for minors seeking gender transition. Her story is powerful. At age 12, she started having feelings of dysphoria, stoked at least in part by the rampant misinformation that dominates social media. She started to believe that girls were weak and overly sexualized and did not want to be one. 
having concluded that she must be a transgender because she didn't like those aspects of being female. Uh, She reached out for professional help and was fast-tracked into medical transition. I believe that all my anxiety and insecurities would magically disappear once I transitioned, Chloe said. The mental health professionals did not try to dissuade me or to um, of this delusional belief, end quote. Well, in California, any attempt to dissuade a minor from their preferred gender is considered conversion therapy. As Chloe put it, this wasn't a misdiagnosis. It was mistreatment. Well, Chloe's parents were told that they could either support their daughter's transition or be complicit in her suicide. Those were the only two options. Backed into a corner, they listened to their doctors, the medical professionals. Chloe was placed on puberty blockers and testosterone and approved for a double mastectomy all by the age of 15. Only a year later, she began to understand the full significance of what had been taken from her. No one explored why I did not want to be a girl, she uh, remembered. And today, she continued, War and uh, more and more kids are falling for the false promise of happiness if they transition. Her testimony ended with a simple statement, I am the canary in the coal mine, end quote. She is. Internet forums are filling up today with stories of teens and 20-somethings with symptoms and of osteoporosis, dramatic mood swings, hair loss, other complications that have resulted from the laissez-faire prescription of hormone therapy to young people. In fact, there's a growing wave of detransition stories that shows no sign of abating. But who's listening is the question. Well, since her testimony before the California Senate, Chloe joined with others to co-found D-Trans United. It's a support network and advocacy group for those who are railroaded through gender transition. In a letter to U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland, they explained, and I'm quoting, most detransitioners choose to remain silent or anonymous because unlike the joyful and supportive communities that welcome all who transition, no such loving community awaits us. Instead, we are routinely harassed and browbeaten into silence for being an inconvenience to popular narratives around gender. But our growing population is becoming impossible to ignore. Well, the stand that Chloe and others are taking is incredibly courageous. Detransitioners are considered either non-existent or an embarrassment by the cultural powers. Yet they make clear that people struggling with dysphoria are not the enemy. Well, back in June, Pew Research found that 5% of adults age 18 to 29 identify as transgender or non-binary. That amounts to over 2 million young Americans who have imbibed and embraced this new harmful idea about gender. Well, for a new movie on this um, ideology, you can go to disconnectedmovie.com, by the way. And while it's um, not too or it's too soon, rather, to know how many will experience regret and seek detransition, every one of these young people needs a source of hope, of comfort and healing as they work through one of the most destructive ideologies of our lifetimes. Focus on the Family has compiled a list of resources for Christians dealing with the complex issue of sexual identity. And one of their best tools is Biblical Perspective on Transgender Identity, a primer for parents and strugglers. It walks through ways parents can help kids navigate sexual identity well by encouraging openness and creating a safe place for sharing their feelings, teaching them about the importance and God-given design of their bodies, and being willing to prioritize honoring God over and above human influences. For those who struggle with dysphoria, they need a wider community to support and help them. Specifically, they need a church that's unafraid to love them and to speak truth to them. 
Groups like Focus on the Family and Restored Hope Network, which I wholeheartedly support, help connect Christians with a whole network of biblically focused counselors to seek help for a range of mental and sexual questions. Stories like Chloe's, they teach us that there is hope and that speaking up requires courage. I've heard dozens and dozens of these testimonies firsthand from detransitioners, and there is uh, there is hope and there is joy after the damage that can so often be done. And so I just want to encourage anyone who is struggling. Portland Fellowship is another great resource right here in our community. Uh, if you need to talk with some about this from a Christian perspective and to gain a greater understanding of what leads to dysphoria um, in working through these issues. All right, we need to take a quick break. I went a little long, according to my engineer, James Blend, but we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Following up on my conversation with Brandon Showalter, he's a columnist and senior investigative reporter for the Christian Post. He wrote an article on trans surgeries in kids or on kids is probably a better way to put it. You can hear that conversation on our podcast and you can find that at KPDQ.com. I wanted to continue for at least a few more minutes on the subject. Gender transition for minors. What does the research say? Well, contrary to what is consistently filling our news feeds, there is a disturbing lack of evidence that intervening in a child's gender development produces beneficial results of any kind. And more than that, many studies are showing a strong potential for lasting harm. I mentioned a few of those items a few moments ago. Even while many nations uh, pump the brakes on radical transgender ideology and healthcare practices, Americans at both the state and federal label, they continue to push culture-wide affirmation, social transition of minors, hormone therapies, and harmful surgeries. Advocates, they frequently claim that so-called misnamed gender-affirming treatments, including surgery, saves lives, that gender dysphoria is a permanent condition even among minors, and that regret by those who undergo such treatments are minimal and or non-existent. Well, increasingly, research suggests otherwise. Until recently, activists were able to hide behind a very limited number of studies, some of which even seemed to confirm that those um, activists wanted to hear. No more. With 900 percent increase in young people claiming gender dysphoria, the amount of data in recent years has sharply increased and the data is overwhelming. Contrary to what is consistently filling our news feeds, there is a disturbing lack of evidence that intervening in a child's development procedures uh, with regard to gender is beneficial and has uh, beneficial results of any kind. More than that. Um, there's a growing body of, a body of evidence that shows a strong potential for lasting harm. Well, last month, Dr. Stan Weed with the Institute for Research and Evaluation produced an invaluable paper on the subject entitled Transgender Research, Five Things Every Parent and Policymaker Should Know. In it, he summarizes dozens of studies from around the world on five of the most hotly debated transgender talking points. For example, about the benefits and harms of cross-sex medical treatment for minors, the highly respected British medical journal concluded, and I'm quoting, puberty blockers are being used in the context of profound scientific ignorance. There are a large number of unanswered questions that include the age at start, reversibility, adverse events, long-term effects on mental health, quality of life, bone mineral density, osteoporosis in later life, and cognition. The current evidence base doesn't support informed decision-making and safe practice in children. End quote. 
on whether medical transition improves rates of suicide ideation for trans-identifying youth, one group of researchers observed the transition or suicide narrative falsely implies that transition will prevent suicides. Yet neither hormones nor surgeries have been shown to reduce suicidality in the long term. Thus, the transition or uh, or die narrative whereby parents are told that their only choice is between a live trans daughter or a dead son or vice versa is both factually inaccurate and ethically wrong. Now, one frequently cited study that pushes this narrative, for example, had an 82 percent dropout rate, reducing it to only seven youth and invalidating its uh, use as a legitimate comparison group. Another, Weed wrote, found that the use of cross-sex hormones significantly increased suicidality, nearly twofold for biological males receiving estrogen. Also addressed in that report were whether gender dysphoria in children tends to be a permanent condition that requires medical treatment, whether young people who identify as transgender are influenced by peers in society, or whether it is biologically determined, and how sex education that includes gender ideology influences young children, as many have suspected. Needless to say, the data included in the report is contentious, as a trend and tends to be um, the case when reality bumps up again prized cultural priorities. Of course, Christians and citizens of conscience must remember in a culture like ours that truth is often contentious, especially when it comes to matters of the highest stakes. It's essential, particularly for the children at risk, that we rely on and point to methodology and sound research. After all, too many parents have been fed an unethical and manipulative false dichotomy. Either enthusiastically affirm a child's gender identity and support whatever interventions are required for them to transition or risk being complicit in harm to your child, maybe even their death. All including parents who fail to comply face vitriol from schools, counselors, media, and other parents. They need our support. And too many young people have been made pawns in a culture game Uh, that pits reality against itself, convinced that their developmentally common feelings mean they somehow were born in the wrong body and unaware that these feelings will likely dissipate once puberty and the spell of social contagion run their course. Instead, they're told it's, well, who they are, that it's permanent, and that anyone who fails to affirm them actually hates them. (coughs) The truth is, however, love must speak the truth. As gentle as we must be with those who struggle with whom God created uh, them to be, or even those who profess to be our enemies in this culture tug of war, the church has to stand for what is true about humanity, including God's good creation, human body, and the inherent value each person has since they bear his image. This is the challenge of our day. Um, the The cry is always to be informed, to know Uh, what the truth is, and to move forward. And it's becoming more and more challenging because the truth isn't always easy to find. It's not always apparent. It's not always embraced once uncovered or discovered. And uh, I would just encourage you to be prayerful and ask God for direction. And in particular, if you are uh, a family member is struggling to seek out those who can come alongside and help, who do not have a financial interest in your making a decision in one direction as opposed to the other, Uh, but can guide you to what the research is telling us is true, what's untrue, and the false uh, information that has become so common. So let me just encourage you, particularly parents, and again, those 
who struggle. Once again, Brandon Showalter was my guest uh, earlier in the program. It started our conversation at the top of the hour. He's a columnist and senior investigative reporter for the Christian Post. And in his article, he cites a number of studies in which he quotes directly from those studies. Uh, in particular, to address what the mainstream media or legacy media, as they're now being referred to, suggests is not really a, a practice at all, that these trans uh, surgeries on kids isn't taking place. Well, these are studies um, and reports that, that are direct quotes from those who are uh, conducting the practice, uh, admitting to what's being done, the ages of, of young people and so on. So I would encourage you to check that out. And if you didn't have the opportunity to hear our conversation, you can uh, check that out on the uh, podcast at kpdq.com. Now, coming up in our final segment today, I want to talk about what's happening in Europe. There is a rebellion at foot against the elites, and it's emerging as something of a trend. And my question really is whether or not this is likely to be the case here in the United States. We're being told that um, the economic pressures that we're currently experiencing are likely to increase that those who are retired or are anticipating retirement, that your 401k or savings has uh, diminished significantly, and that's likely to continue. If you're thinking in the short term of retiring, that's going to have a, a significant impact on what you thought you had uh, in retirement. So um, this is all a, a result of um, this rebellion that I made reference to in Europe is all the result of um, the general public uh, turning against the elite as they're being defined and it's something of a trend georgia milani's victory in the italian elections opens a new political outlook so writes george martin freyas in italy and in europe accelerating a trend characterized by the emergence of two increasingly well-defined blocks on one side we find a block made up of political parties ranging from the greens and the european radical left to the european people's party which includes the socialists uh, confederations of liberal parties and various Christian democratic uh, Democrat uh, parties together. They make up a large consensus. All of these groups share certain underlying characteristics, their defense of a federal European union, their support for, <coughs> excuse me, a woke ideological agenda, their responsibility in uh, certain arbitrary curtailments of freedom, especially since COVID-19 and their indifference regarding the demographic crisis in the West. So in the next segment, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And we'll talk about the opposition to this bloc. It's large, it's popular, and a national coalition headed by the European conservatives and reformists. So we'll get into that right after the break. Again, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show, talking about uh, what's happening in Europe, a rebellion against the elites that emerges uh, is emerging as a trend there. We talked a bit about the uh, uh, those who find themselves on the left side of that uh, contingency, but the opposing um, uh, block is a large popular and national coalition that's headed by a European conservative and reformist group. It's headed by Italy's Milani since 2020. Now, those who make up this coalition um, conceive of a very different kind of Europe. Their conception of the European Union is not one in which the member states place their productive uh, model and their freedom of their citizens at the service of a multinational corporation and multilateral bodies, but one that seeks to protect Europe's uh, citizens to guarantee their well-being 
Neither are they prepared to expose Europe's citizens to the ideological whims of distant elites. Well, these opposing visions of what the European Union should be um, also have witnessed some widely disparate trends in recent years. Now, this issue is best illustrated by developments among the heavyweights of the European Party's uh, People's Party, rather, and the European Conservatives and Reformists. With the United Kingdom's ex- uh, exit from the European Union, only Poland had a government whose party, the Law and Justice Party, was part of the European Conservatives and Reformists. In comparison, the European People's Party had eight countries under people's uh, governments, headed by Chancellor Angela Merkel's Christian Democratic Union in Germany, responsible together with the Social Democratic Party for the EU's defenselessness regarding energy matters alongside others. Well, these governments also included that of uh, former Spanish Prime Minister uh, Rejoy. Well, at that time, the comparison between the European People's Party and the Conservatives was startlingly clear. In 2016 and up to 2019, when the United Kingdom left the EU, the countries with the governments whose parties were part of the European Conservative and Reformists represented just 20 percent compared to 31 percent in the case of the European People's Party. Well, at an economic level, the United Kingdom and Poland represented 16 percent and 3 percent, respectively, of the EU's gross domestic product. As for the countries with governments that were part of the European People's Party, they accounted for 32 percent of the EU's gross domestic product. In 2022, however, the situation is quite different. Poland is still under a government whose party is included in the European conservatives and reformists. And now it's been joined by the government of the Czech Republic. With the incorporation of Italy, the countries with governments based on parties in the reformist group now come to three in total, four in Hungary's. Um, uh, Fidesz party, uh, which left the European People's Party, should decide to uh, join the reformist party. And that's a possibility. Well, the number of European People's Party countries, by contrast, comes to 10. But in economic terms, this block now has governments in countries that account for barely 9.4 percent of the EU's gross domestic product. While the uh, European conservatives and reformists has um, maintained its level at around 18 percent since 2019. Also, at a demographic level, the countries with the governments headed by parties affiliated with the European People's Party currently represent just 16.2 percent of the EU's population. That's far from the 24 percent of the population under governments aligned with the parties belonging to the reformist group. Well, the alternative vision of the current European Union is uh, is progressing and gaining ground. The trend is part of a wider cultural rupture whose consequences would appear to be quite irreversible. The consolidation of a right uh, that is not subject to globalism, a uh, globalism rather that calls into question the grand confluence of interests and the concentration of power among the financial, media, technological and political elites. And that defends the idea of a strong nation state. Well, this movement believes that the nation state is the only way to preserve the sovereignty of the peoples. And in contrast to traditional indifference regarding social and economic issues, the movement extols the need to protect everything that is threatened, ranging from family and the sanctity of life to uh, companies, strategic uh, national energy sectors and the security of its citizens. So this great divide is being reflected uh, not just in what we uh, see the divide here in this constitutional republic but elsewhere in europe as well so it's rather interesting to consider uh the uh, the same issues that are being debated here in terms of uh, uh sovereignty and um liberty and freedom is being ju- uh, debated there as well
All right. Well, I'm told we're out of time, so we will uh, we'll move on. I want to thank James Blend for uh, producing and engineering today's program, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show a part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.